You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Hello there, everybody. Welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. It is the 8th of the month of January. Of course, a little bit later after you've seen this uh, and by the hat, you can tell what I'm going to talk about. My Huskies are taking on the Michigan Wolverines in the national championship game at 430 Pacific time. So obviously hoping for good, good spirits with that. Really excited. You know, a bunch of pro dogs did really well yesterday on Sunday. Uh, Jake Browning threw three touchdowns. Taylor Rapp caught the game uh, ceiling interception on Sunday Night Football. Levi Onwuzurike had two sacks for the Lions in their win over the Minnesota Vikings. So there's some good omens, good omens. And it's funny because here in Washington, we're in the only state playing today that actually has Wolverines in it. Michigan doesn't. So I don't know what that's about. Regardless, it's raining right now here in Seattle. It's raining in Houston. So hoping for a little bit of purple rain here down in NRG Stadium for the national championship game. Regardless of that, another week in Seattle sports, some good, some not so good, some returns that just happened right before we got on the air today. So we'll start with the the good, not so good here as we get straight into Seahawks news. Seattle, week 18, it's the regular season finale. They had controlled their destiny going into the last two weeks of the regular season. Lost to the Steelers last week, changed that. The Seahawks needed to win their game against the Cardinals on the road and have the Chicago Bears beat the Green Bay Packers on the road in Lambeau. They needed both of those things to happen. There were two other scenarios where if certain teams tied and uh, (laughs) a bunch of stuff like that, then the Seahawks could make it. But there hasn't been a tie all season in the NFL. And after week 18, there wouldn't be. So it needed to be the wins that Seattle needed going into this final week and Seattle did their part. The Seahawks would defeat the Arizona Cardinals by a score of 21 to 20. Uh, Arizona went for a last second field goal from Matt Prater to go ahead and win as time expired, but that went wide to the right. Seattle would hold on to win, pushing their record to a nine and eight. This was a tough one to watch. Uh, the Cardinals had possession of this ball late into the second half and for most of the second half to an extent as well, running the football with James Conner at will. Kyler Murray, you know, the dangerous runner that he is with the football, was able to do damage. A lot of poor tackling. You know, this Seahawks run defense that's ranked 30th in the NFL continued to show struggles and continued to show why it's ranked 30th in the NFL. Uh, James Conner was running through just weak arm tackles throughout the right course of the day. The, the Seattle offense struggled as well. There were several opportunities where they were failing to cash in outside of Jason Myers' field goals. But uh, a late touchdown from Geno to Tyler Lockett uh, and a two-point conversion to Tyler Lockett would give Seattle a lead and the go-ahead score uh, as, again, they escape after Arizona had basically the game-winning field goal within grasp. It just went wide right. So uh, we look at inactives here. This was a tough inactives list. Uh, Running back Kenny McIntosh, you know, who unfortunately unable to really contribute throughout the course of this season, missed this finale. Linebacker Patrick O'Connell was unable to go. Both offensive tackles, Jason Peters 
and Abraham Lucas were out of this game. So Seattle starting right tackle was not in. There was a lot of Stone Forsyth and Jake Curran in this game. Uh, also offensive right, uh, offensive tackle Rayquan O'Neal. Jaron Reed was unable to go in this game as he was dealing with a bruise and defensive end Mario Edwards. So two offensive tackles that would have been contributors in this game and two defensive linemen who would have been contributors in this game. John Reed having an excellent year with the Seahawks this season, both unable to go in the regular season finale and certainly could have used uh, all four of those guys potentially. So we look at offensive and defensive player of the game. Wasn't it was an offensive explosion for Seattle a little bit as I alluded to, you know, the Seahawks unable to do a bunch uh, with the football when they did have it and having to settle for a lot of field goals in this one from Jason Myers. I went with Tyler Lockett, Tyler, only two receptions for 71 yards and the one touchdown on the day. You know, it was his first touchdown since uh, the Commanders game at home. So I believe that was back in week 10. But Tyler Lockett, as we've talked about throughout the course of the season, has just really been uh, such a reliable, consistent uh, force that the Seattle offense can look to in certain moments, whether it's on third downs, whether it's in big moments. Uh, you know, wider Tyler Lockett, a guy who is drafted out of Kansas State as a primary kick returner, has really turned into such an excellent option uh, in the passing game for the Seahawks. On the defensive side of the ball, there were some choices to make here, but considering the impact and at least the eye test, I hate that word, but sometimes it rings true. Um, Devon Witherspoon continued an excellent rookie season, 11 total tackles, seven to- solo tackles, and three tackles for loss. Those three tackles for loss were big. You know, Getting into the backfield, causing negative plays is always going to be a plus when you're looking at a defender. And Devon Witherspoon has showed that throughout the course of his rookie season, he can come down and make the big play, make big tackles, lay the wood, in addition to his coverage skills and his ability uh, in the passing game as well. So really excited for the sort of player that he will continue to be for the Seahawks for years forward. There was you know, a lot of talk about Jalen Carter, and I understand that, but I really think Devon Witherspoon will be a big play contributor for this defense for years to come. So uh, injuries during this game were tough. Linebacker Jordan Brooks mixed this uh, left the game with an ankle injury and was deemed questionable to return. Noah Fant left the game with a hand injury. He was also questionable to return, and safety Julian Love dealing with a hand injury as well uh, left the game and was questionable to return. So, I mean, all three of those guys are major contributors. So State Farm Stadium, home of the Arizona Cardinals, continues to be uh, an area of struggle for the Seahawks, whether it's winning games there, the tight, tight games there, or even the injuries there. As obviously we look back to the Legion of Boom days when Richard Sherman got injured there, Cam Chancellor got injured there, uh, and Earl Thomas broke his leg there as well. So with the law, with the win, pardon me, it feels like a loss because of what I'm about to mention. With the Seahawks win, um, but the Packers winning their game to become the seventh seed, Seattle was eliminated from playoff contention. Uh, Seattle does go nine and eight, but they missed the playoffs. Uh, and it leaves a lot of questions, and you, you'll see the Pete Carroll on your screen and wonder why. Well, some of you won't wonder why, uh, but it's, it's going to be an interesting offseason, and I say that for a lot, but this this Seahawks franchise is at a unique point. 
because there's a lot of young talent on this roster. Don't get me wrong. I just talked at length about Devon Witherspoon. I would love to give Jordan Brooks an extension. You know, Boye Mafe had a strong season as he racked up a bunch of sacks this year and had that sack streak. Um, you know, Julian Love had a big impact as a guy that a lot of people were wondering, why are we bringing in their safety? You know, on the offensive side of the ball, DK Metcalf continues to contribute despite what some fans say about his attitude and yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, Kenneth Walker, when he was able to be healthy, he was a big contributor as well. He looked good in this game running the football, didn't get to 100 yards, only had 78. But the point is... There's a lot of talent on this roster, and they shouldn't have struggled as much as they did. Pete Carroll, talking uh, on 710 today, said that they made a lot of young mistakes, and that's fine to a T. I understand that. There's a lot of young players. I just highlighted them. But also, coaching should fix that. This should not continue to be one of the top penalized teams in the NFL year after year. This isn't a new thing for Seattle, right? That run defense, I don't think that run defense, being 30th in the NFL, is a product of being a young team you weren't a young team necessarily last year and you were bad against the run as well these are issues that continue to happen and that's been my problem with the pete carroll era throughout the entirety do i think it would be fine if pete carroll is still the head coach next year yes i do i don't have a problem with that but it's sort of the loyalty to some of the play callers whether it's clint hurt uh shane waldron had his moments this year but could have been better as well especially considering the struggles on third down um you know it's it's a matter of the mindset in the coaching staff you know they obviously continue to foster a great culture in that locker room and that's been a staple of pete carroll wherever he's gone outside of the stint in new england that didn't last very long for other reasons um you know it's there are decisions that need to be made because this is still a seahawks team that hasn't gotten past the divisional round since losing in super bowl 49 that has to change you're you're in this holding pattern where you do good throughout the course of the regular season but not good enough to get a higher seed so you end up having to go through the wild card you lost in the wild card last year to the 49ers and that game really wasn't that competitive you didn't make the playoffs before that so Something needs to change. Pete Carroll says he needs to be better in his post-game press conference. Uh, well, he said that uh, this morning. Yeah, that's fine. But you've been saying that for years throughout the course of the season in post-game press conferences. You said you needed to be better. He took that ownership. That's fine. But when I'm hearing it again and again, why isn't there that improvement? You know, so it's it's an issue. I understand it. We'll look at it deeper. We'll look at it throughout the course of this offseason. As we look ahead to the NFL draft and free agency as well, um, Seattle had another good draft this year. I know I didn't necessarily mention him by name, but Jackson Smith and Jigba had a solid season, despite what some some thought Seattle wasn't using him right. He is the third wide receiver on the depth chart. He wasn't going to be highlighted as the top guy all the time. Didn't make sense for that, you know. Uh, so I understand to Pete Carroll's point, there are some young players on this team. Yes, that's true, but. You know, I'm not putting all of the fact that Seattle was the 30th run defense. I'm going to keep talking about it because it was hard to watch. I'm not putting all of the fact that Seattle was the 30th run defense in the NFL on the young players. There are still other established players. So, yeah, that's it's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating considering you see the talent level of some of these players and you see the games that they're losing, the types of games that they're losing, um, and realize that they should have been better. They controlled their own destiny two weeks ago, and 
now we're here. The, the regular season's over. They're headed home. Uh, soon they'll officially get their list. They haven't posted it yet, as I'm making sure. I don't say that, and then it happens. Nope, didn't happen. So, you know, it's they'll, they'll uh, put out their list for the future and reserve rosters uh, for this offseason. A bunch of practice squad guys and guys that they'll eventually bring back. Um, changes need to be made. Changes need to be made. I don't know what that looks like, but there are a few things this offseason that at least in my mind make sense. You got to bring back Jordan Brooks. You got to bring back Leonard Williams. Those two should be no-brainers relatively. Um, any thought of trading DPK Metcalf is ludicrous, and anybody saying that shouldn't be listened to or taken seriously. Uh, you know, For a guy that continues to contribute, uh, only the third player in NFL history that had 50-plus receptions, 900-plus yards, and five plus TDs in all of, of his first five seasons joining AJ Green and Randy Moss. Uh, I wouldn't listen to anybody talking about that. Watching the game yesterday, there isn't anybody else on the field on offense that celebrates more one of the teammates scores other than DK Metcalf. I get it. I understand some of the penalties are bad. I understand that. <laughs> but there are some players where you have to accept the risk with the reward. I am more than willing to accept that with DK Metcalf. So we'll move past that. Uh, you ideally will draft a quarterback in this upcoming draft. While a lot of people had struggles and ill will towards Geno Smith this season, I think Geno's fine. I think we know what Geno Smith is. He is an acceptable option at the quarterback position. And that was what reflected in the contract he got after last season, right? It wasn't a big superstar contract. It was you did well, comeback player of the year, you are doing what we need you to do with this offense. <laughs> I don't think a lot of the blame should be put on Gino. I'm putting it more on the defensive side of the football and the coaching staff. So Jordan Brooks, Leonard Williams, keep DK. Don't think dumb thoughts about that. Uh, but you do need to potentially add on the defensive line, mostly up in the nose tackle spot um, to shore that up. Or maybe it's a, it's a change in, in thought on the defensive side of the ball with the play calling. Cause some of, some of the, the schemes and the formations that we see from this defense are questionable, you know, and especially when it's bad throughout the course of the year, defending the run. So um, yes, as I mentioned, the team eliminated from postseason contention, looking ahead, as I mentioned, it's a big off season. So likely by the time that we see you next week, we will know about futures and reserved contracts that the team will sign. Uh, there will be a few decisions to make because before the game against the Cardinals, we found out that Pete Carroll's contract lasts through the 2024 season and has a team option uh, for 2025. And there was talk, the word retirement was thrown around. So we'll see about that with Pete Carroll. Uh, going off of his comments today, it doesn't sound like retirement's a thing. He does say he intends to coach the Seahawks next season. And I'd be fine with that personally, but, you know, obviously a decision, you know, some changes need to be made an action needs to be taken as opposed to talking about it. So um, we'll lead into that. We'll start. It's, it's, it's that time of the year where we start to look at mock drafts and look at free agents and, and situations like that. So regardless, uh, we move over here to the Mariners uh, and there was some action over the course of the past week and all that action came on the same day. So we'll look at it. There were two trades made on January 5th. The first of the two being the Mariners sent left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray to the San Francisco Giants in exchange for outfielder Mitch Hanniger and right-handed pitcher Anthony Descalafani. Um, Sclafani, Sclafani. 
sorry, it's a tough spelling. Uh, and the Mariners did get $6 million in cash considerations back. It was originally thought to be $3 million. It is actually $6 million. Um, in return, as I mentioned, yes, Robbie Ray heads to San Francisco. Uh, this is an interesting trade. Um, I was really looking forward to Robbie Ray bouncing back this season after coming off of Tommy John surgery. Uh, the expected return date for him was supposed to be around the all-star break next season. He doesn't get to do that. The Mariners send him off to San Francisco. San Francisco adds another strong arm. Uh, the Mariners get back Mitch Haniger, a name that they're familiar with, a guy who's a really strong hitter when he's healthy. But for a lot of fans, the the worry is of when he's healthy. So that'll be interesting as well. Discolofani, uh, Jerry Apoto had a meeting with the local media later that day and said that he projects as the sixth starter currently and will likely work in a swing start and long relief uh, capacity out of the bullpen. So. I'm fine with that. And the cash considerations continue considering how uh, money is working within this organization throughout this off season. I'm fine with that. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting deal to look at. Um, here's a look at Mitch Hanniger in a Mariners uniform, as we've obviously seen him before in this photo taken by live lions. Uh, I'm fine with that deal. We'll talk about it a little bit more in a minute. But we also look at there was a second deal that day. The Mariners traded infielder Jose Caballero to the Tampa Bay Rays in exchange for outfielder slash first baseman Luke Rayleigh. That is a one for one deal. The Mariners add Luke Rayleigh, uh, a guy who can play every outfield spot if needed to. They also played first base this past season for the Rays, had a really strong year offensively at the plate. A career year has some power. Um, and the Mariners send over Caballero, who was kind of an older uh, rookie, uh, considering how much time he spent in the, the minor league system for Seattle. Uh, really pesky, solid infielder, but nothing more than that. Uh, it's interesting to see the Rays media talk about how he is an elite infielder, and that's just not the case. <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll look back. This this trade makes a little bit of sense. I mean, you know, you were struggling on the outfielder part. Your outfielders outside of Julio Rodriguez before this day were going to be Cade Marlowe, Taylor Trammell, Zach Deloach. And those guys are fine. But if you want to compete, if you want to compete with the Astros and the Rangers, you're going to need to do better than that. And Lou Grayley is better than that. So that's a strong addition. <laughs> kind of surprised that DePoto was able to make the one-for-one -one trade with the Rays, sending Caballero over. And we look at this trade with the Giants. You know, to get Mitch Hanniger back is fine if you're able to keep him healthy. That's a strong addition, and I'm happy with that. The plan for him is to largely play right field as long as his body allows per DePoto. Uh, DePoto said he did speak with Hanniger that day and that told him that. Uh, when you're when he's healthy, you know, in 2021, uh, 21, yes, 21, he had 39 home runs, and he was a bidding, hitting about 250. So, you know, if you're able to keep him healthy, that is – a strong option. Um, that's a big if, though, as we know with him and his injury history. But regardless, I'm happy with that. Robbie Ray, I was really hoping for the bounce back. Uh, I thought he got a lot of an unfair shake from Mariners fans. A lot of fans thought that, you know, he wasn't coming in advertised. And I think a lot of them expected him to be exactly the Cy Young he was after the Mar well, when the Mariners signed him in free agency after his great year with the Tampa Bay, the Sorry, the Toronto Blue Jays, 
but that was an unrealistic expectation. He ate a bunch of innings. He was really strong, especially in the second half of the year. And the Mariners don't make the playoffs without Robbie Ray in 2022. Everybody's going to remember the home run that Jordan Alvarez hit, but you have to understand uh, some of the context of <laughs> his impact to bring the Mariners to that point in the first place. So that's all we've got for the Mariners. There are 34 days until spring training officially kicks off and 81 days until opening day on March 28th. So obviously counting down both of them, I do have those listed for a reason, um, but that's all we've got when it comes to the Mariners. We haven't had much at all to go off of when it comes to Sounders related news, but that changed also on January 5th. It was a busy day in the Seattle sports world um, as the Sounders, you know, free agency, uh, in the offseason, there are moves that are rumored to be uh, finalized and getting finalized. But until we get an official word, I don't want to bring anything fake. So we'll talk about the rumors in a minute. But we'll get to the official finalized stuff here in, uh, to begin with. On the 5th, the club signed center back Nathan Cardoso, who primarily goes by Nathan, to a deal. The 6'2", 28-year-old defender from Brazil. Uh, previously spent the 2021 and 22 seasons playing with the San Jose Earthquakes. He had really strong seasons there uh, with the Earthquakes, but he did miss this past year of 2023 with an ACL injury that he suffered um, in the preseason. So tough there, but if this is an interesting signing uh, because at the end of season press conference, Craig Weibel said that the club really wasn't going to mess with the defense uh, and primarily look at adding attackers. But this this is more than likely a depth signing. Uh, as I mentioned, 28 years old, spent three seasons with the Earthquakes, missed last year. Uh, he's now apparently fully healed from that injury and should be a full participant as preseason opens uh, here in four days on the 12th. So it's interesting. You know, there was some thought that maybe his injury history and his salary, he was earning 700000 back in 2023, was enough to scare him off. Uh, but so, yeah, he didn't uh, at all get selected in the re-entry draft. He was made a free agent. But when he was healthy with the Earthquakes, he was a regular starter. He was among the league leaders in tackles and interceptions, very effective playing the ball in the air, um, as well as moving the ball up in 2022. So, this really projects as a third center back, maybe pushing Jackson Reagan and Yamar Gomez Andrade um, as a third center back. But also considering the fact that we talked about it when the end of the season press conference happened, Weibel had said that they didn't plan on moving Javier Arriaga at all, even though teams had inquired. And that might change with the signing of Nathan. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if a deal is made. I know Austin FC has inquired about Javier Arriaga. Uh, so as I mentioned, it'll be interesting to see what this signing does change. Um, but yeah, projects as a third starter, uh, at, well, third center back. I'm not mad at it. It's always good to have depth. You never know when injuries can ha happen. Seattle was uncharacteristically healthy at the center back position, knock on wood this past year. Um, so I'm happy with it. I just wonder where the fallout will go with Javier Arriaga following that deal. In addition to that news on the 5th of the signing, uh, there were three Sounders players called into international duty. The first two both going to the U.S. men's national team. Two younger players, not the players that you're traditionally used to seeing go to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, 
defender Jackson Reagan, as I just talked about, the 25-year-old, earned his first call-up to the U.S. men's national team as the Sounders FC Academy product joins uh, midfielder Josh Atencio for January camp and a Slovenian friendly. Reagan helped anchor the Seattle backline, as you'll remember, this past season uh, that was tied for the fewest gold allowed in MLS. So that'll be exciting for him uh, to join that national team. Josh Atencio, as I mentioned, the 21-year-old midfielder called up. Uh, He was called up back in November for the U.S. Olympic men's team and previously represented the U.S. at the U15 and U17 levels, making 10 youth national team appearances since the year of 2017. So those two uh, will be with the team for this January camp as they're set to face Slovenia on January 20th at Toyota Field in San Antonio, Texas at 12 p.m. Pacific time. You can watch that if you're so compelled on TNT, uh, Max, and Peacock. So uh, very nice for those two players to get that recognition. And then the third player from the Sounders called up in international duty, Nuhu. Nuhu for Cameroon. Uh, The 26-year-old has 28 career caps for Cameroon since the year of 2018, playing every minute in all three of Cameroon's 22 FIFA World Cup matches, including the country's historic 1-0 win over the country of Brazil. He is set to play a friendly against Zambia on January 9th, which is tomorrow, uh, before it starts um, AFCON play. So that will begin Group C action on January 15th against Guinea before facing Senegal on January 19th and Gambia back on January 23rd. So some action there as Nuhu goes uh, for a friendly tomorrow and then three different Group C action games uh, throughout the course of January. So it doesn't sound like he's going to be able to produce, uh, participate, pardon me, in the traditional uh, January camp that the Sounders would have for preseason. So very exciting for those players uh, with the offseason. As I mentioned, there are some rumors regarding the Sounders and potential signings. We talked about Pedro de la Vega for weeks now, it feels like, maybe even months. Um, the signing is rumored to be in its finalizing stages. Uh, the transfer fee is set at about $7 million, and uh, there is a transfer fee of 30% if the Sounders do sell Pedro de la Vega um, further. So that's those are rumors. Those are rumors. That's nothing officialized. Officialized. Um, but wanted to put that on your radar uh, as we will likely talk about that next week. So we'll see. I, I said that, you know, the rumors were that it was finalizing in the coming days like a week ago. So we'll see. Moving into Kraken hockey after the big, exciting week that was the Winter Classic and all the events that took place, whether it was the refurbishing of the Verlo Playfield in Tacoma whether it was, you know, the fan village in the north lot of Bar- uh, Lumen Field, there was practice day, the food tasting, all of that. There's only one game <laughs> that the Kraken played last week, uh, starting on January 4th against the Ottawa Senators to wrap up a little three-game home stretch. And I would say home stretch with air quotes because obviously the middle of that home stretch was at T-Mobile Park for the Winter Classic. But regardless, the Kraken take care of business. They defeated the Ottawa Senators by a score of 4-1. to one. Seattle scored the first three goals unanswered as Joey Decord continued his strong performance in net. Uh, Ottawa did get a goal in the third period. They put on the extra attacker in exchange for pulling the goalie. Vince Dunn scores the empty net goal. And Seattle pushes their winning streak to six games and their point streak to 10 games. 
really nice to see this team finally start to roll. As I mentioned, with Joey DeCourt's strong play in this game, he is our player of the game. Not only that, he's in our photo of the game, uh, taken by Rio Giancarlo. 32 saves on the night for Joey against his former team, a 970 save percentage, and 2.23 goal save above expected. He continues to be absolutely ridiculous in net for Seattle, holding things down as goaltender Philip Grubauer continues to work back from an injury um, and just looks really solid. Normally we'd have a player of the week, but considering there was only one game, it doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense to do that. But no, I mean, you know, we look at this game, Ottawa has a lot of talent, whether it's Claude Giroux, um, is it Matthew Kachuk? No, it's Brady Kachuk. I apologize. There's, you know, you got to keep track of the Kachuks around here. Uh, Brady Kachuk, you know, there's a lot of talent on that Ottawa roster, and Seattle easily could have lulled its stuff. But Dave Haxtall and on practice the day before and morning skate uh, the morning of kind of made it clear that this team is, you know, ready. They have to come out every night. They were expecting a strong battle for battle from Ottawa, considering the talent that they have on that roster. Um, and they look ready from the jump. Yanni Gord scored a, a goal in back-to-back games. He has he opened the scoring in this one. Um, so, you know, Andre Burakovsky scored. Uh, Tomas Tatar scored as well. Andre scores his first goal of the year. So you're continuing to see that depth um, from this Kraken roster. I talked about it with the Winter Classic. We talked about it on Back to Base. So we recap the Winter Classic. So, you know, you're looking at this Kraken team and, you know, you're seeing the strong structured defensive play and that did help them last season, but last season they were outscoring teams. They were running up the score. They were basically just imposing their will on the offensive side of the, of the ice. And that's not the case with this year's team, uh, but they're still showing that same sort of depth and that grit that made them a playoff team last season. Um, so, Feeling good about it. You know, I, we talked about it for weeks here on Circling Seattle Sports on Converge. You know, there were th- cries from the fan base to make a big move, fire Dave Haxtall, you know, trade a player um, to really shake things up. And, and because of the losing streak and at the at the height of that eight game losing streak, I thought about it. I, I will admit I was so strong against it for the longest time, but I thought, hey, Things are going poorly. Maybe they do need to change something. Uh, and then they broke through against the Florida Panthers. They beat Florida. Florida is still a great team. Um, after going to the Stanley Cup final, second in the Atlantic Division right now, behind only the Boston Bruins. Um, and they've been on that point streak ever since, on a six-game winning streak. They would have moved up higher in the division, but the Edmonton Oilers are currently on a seven-game winning streak. Um we look here i want to look at the wild card standings but seattle is right on the door of a wild card spot yeah they're they're right on the door edmonton and st louis are there uh, and then nashville is four points ahead of seattle but the point is you've dragged yourself from that lower point that you're in and you're playing strong hockey you know you're getting guys back from uh from the injuries that they suffered jane schwartz will be traveling with the team and over the past week since we've seen you has been given the day-to-day um, designation he's not been activated off ir on the nhl media site but in speaking of that uh Riker evans was called up today earlier this morning right as we were getting uh ready to start filming uh Riker evans was recalled from the ahl coachella valley firebirds there was kind of thought of why was he being sent back down ahead of the winter classic but 
Um, to be fair, Coachella Valley did have a few games quickly around the time that the Winter Classic was happening, so it was good for them, uh, for the Firebridge and for Riker Evans to get that game action uh, while Seattle's kind of have this you know, kind of quiet point. So Riker Evans actually did play <laughs> in the two games that Coachella Valley played over this past weekend, beating the Abbotsford Canucks uh, in back-to-back games. So not not bad for him to continue to get game action because he had been a healthy scratch in the last game that the Kraken had played against the Philadelphia Flyers ahead of the Winter Classic. So good to get him game action and keep him in in a rhythm. But yeah, no, I you know, I feel good about it where the Kraken sit. You know, uh, whether it's how strong they've played structured defensively, getting the impact scoring from different players. And they're doing this win streak right now. They're on this point streak without guys like Jared McCann scoring at a hot clip. Matty Benier is scoring at ridiculous points. You know what I mean? So feeling good about that and where they're headed, especially with Riker Evans coming back. It sounds like Jaden Schwartz will be able to be active at some point during this road trip. Philip Grubauer has been wrapping up his work in practices, uh, not been with the team yet in team practice sessions, uh, but has seemed to be ramping things up. So feeling good about that. Also feeling good about the fact that we found out who the Kraken will see represented in the All-Star game this past week oliver bjorkstrand forward oliver bjorkstrand will be representing the kraken in this year's 2024 all-star game in toronto it is the first time that bjorkstrand has been named uh to the all-star game he is the second leading scorer on the kraken right behind vince dunn uh top scoring uh forward for the kraken as well so really great to see Bjorky get nominated for this um, and be given this sort of honor just because he's been a really underrated player for a good amount of the course of his career. He did recently play in his 500th career game that came against the Flyers, actually. Um, just a really strong player in a lot of different aspects. He does become the second Danish player ever to represent his team at the All-Star game. And it's funny when I say that because the other player who did so, and we'll get that here for you in a second, actually is a scout now with the Kraken. So again, just a really strong honor for him to be picked. I kind of thought it was going to be Vince Dunn, just considering the point production. But as you can see on the bottom of your screen, uh, fan voting is currently active. It is open for now and it opened on the 4th until january 11th so you've got a couple more days if you follow the instructions on the reader on the bottom of your screen tweeting vince dunn hashtag nhl all-star vote and joey decord hashtag nhl all-star vote you will help the cause for both of those guys joey's played really excellent is a big reason behind this team's current push um in addition to that fact you know we look at um excuse me, uh, Vince Dunn being a, the top point producer for the Kraken uh, continues to be an offensive producer for this team. Defensively, he's, he's, he's had better games throughout the course of the year, but still a strong producer for the Kraken. And, you know, it would be good to see him get honored as well. So, yeah, we'll get a look at this here yet. Bjorkson becomes the second ever Danish player named to the All-Star game. Um, yes, so... Very nice for Bjorki to get that honor. I will continue to run that banner on the bottom of the screen so you can know how to vote for other Kraken players to send them to this year's All-Star game in Toronto. So we look at that. The Kraken sit at a 16-win, 14-loss, 9-overtime-loss record. 
They are fifth in the Pacific Division, tied with the Edmonton Oilers at 41 points in the standings. But because Edmonton holds the tiebreaker of the head-to-head wins, uh, Edmonton has the higher spot in the division. So, as I mentioned, uh, they're tied with two other teams for that last wild card spot. So continue to make progress and you'll feel good. That can all start tomorrow, January 9th at the Buffalo Sabres. That's a 4 p.m. puck drop. All three of the games that the Kraken play this week are on Root Sports and they're all four o'clock puck drops, which is nice to have consistency. Uh, they do practice today. I don't know if we'll hear a bunch of uh, news out of that practice, but there is that game on the 9th, Tuesday the 9th. Then two days later, they will head to the, the nation's capital to play the Washington Capitals on January 11th, as I mentioned, a 4 p.m. start time on that one. And then two days later, they'll head up to Columbus, a Columbus team that surprised some folks uh, with how well they've been doing this season. January 13th at the Columbus Blue Jackets is also a 4 p.m. Pacific time puck drop. Uh, you know, these teams don't have the best records per se. These first three of the six game road trip that the Kraken will be going on over the course of the next two weeks. But, you know, you don't want to fall behind. There's a lot of talent on Buffalo, on Washington and on Columbus as well. So that's all we've got for this week's episode of Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. The Seahawks wrap up their season missing the playoffs. Unfortunately, we'll look at a ton of things that the Seahawks have to look forward to this offseason. As the court over the course of the next two weeks, next few weeks, I apologize. You know, the Mariners make two big trades, and it's rumored that they are still interested in a few free agent bats. They likely need to add another bat, at least to this lineup, to truly be a competitive team against the Rangers, against the Astros this upcoming season. And as I mentioned, you know, we're getting closer and closer to pitchers and catchers reporting. So looking forward to that. Obviously, the Sounders. Uh, we'll need to make the Nathan move official, but by the time that we see you next week uh, on the 15th, there will likely be a few other moves that we'll be able to look forward to and announce to you as well. Uh, we look at the Kraken. They continue their point streak. They continue their winning streak as well, and we'll look to keep both of those up when they start to get back to game action tomorrow against the Buffalo Sabres. So until we see you next week, take care of yourselves, be well, do whatever you can to make today a great day, And of course, above all else with this Monday, go dogs. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.